have sung amazing grace since I was just a child. And I've joined in on it as well, at least a thousand times. Singing Jesus loves me is a precious memory. I remember when, just as I am, first brought me to my knees. Yet here I am, surrounded by some things I can't explain. But truth is still the truth. In the moment my heart breaks. If I could sing it then, I could sing it now. Cause who he was is who he is beyond a shadow of a doubt. I might be standing in the darkness with trouble all around. If I could sing it then, I can still sing it now. Oh, it's not always easy to join those melodies. How sweetly they remind me of what I still believe. A voice that's raised in times like these may be the truest praise. Cause I've never been forsaken and that will never change. If I could sing it then, I can sing it now. Cause who he was is who he is beyond a shadow of a doubt. I might be standing in the darkness with trouble all around. If I could sing it then, I can still sing it now. Great is thy faithfulness, a mighty fortress is our God. Standing on the promises, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. If I could sing, if I could sing it then, I could sing it now. Cause who he was is who he is beyond a shadow of a doubt. I might be standing in the darkness with trouble all around. If I could sing it then, if I could sing it then, I can still sing it now. My Jesus, I love thee. How great thou art, I can still sing it now. Please have a seat. <clears throat> no standing ovations at this point, thank you. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> All right. Well, <clears throat> excuse me. I'm all choked up. Turn to John chapter 15, verse 13. John chapter 15, verse 13. Memorial Day is a day to remember our fallen heroes. Of course, this is a Memorial Day weekend, and 
Men and women <clears throat> have given their lives in battle in order to procure and to preserve our freedoms. And that's what we celebrate on Memorial Day weekend, really. That's the purpose of it. <clears throat> in John chapter 15, verse 13, we notice that, uh, I think getting back to Ohio, all my allergies have kicked back in. <clears throat> good times. Yeah, it's good times. John chapter 15, verse 13, we read, Greater love hath no man than this, <clears throat> that a man lay down his life for his friends. Well, <clears throat> excuse me. At least it's not as distracting as a bird flying around. <clears throat> yeah, I, uh, yeah. <clears throat> I heard you guys just had a, was on a wing and a prayer that day, but... <clears throat> Yeah, well, Brother Kavanaugh did a good job. He kept things moving along and as the bird tried to take charge of the service, but uh, <clears throat> that's good. If you weren't here, I heard that, I wasn't here either, but a bird came in through our duck work and would just had to be flying around and walking on the stage and trying to share its own sermon, I guess, but <clears throat> either way, it got taken care of and everything's fine. The bird is okay today. Just so you know, it was released into the wilderness. <clears throat> so it's safe and sound, and uh, we, things turned out well. And John chapter 15, though, is a verse that kind of uh, sets the tone uh, almost for this weekend. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. And it's a, a familiar phrase that depicts the spirit of this weekend is one that says, All gave some, <clears throat> some gave all. And uh, we are thankful this morning, of course, for those who gave some. But as we celebrate Memorial Day, we specifically remember those who gave all. And those who gave all are no longer with us in body today, not here. Their lives were sacrificed on an altar of our freedom. And freedom comes with a great price tag. It always has and it always will. You know, we've seen the prices of all things skyrocket as of late and it seems like things are more expensive and cost more than they ever have, and that's not the case with freedom. Freedom is always at a premium. Freedom always costs a great price. It demands total sacrifice. It demands giving of oneself. For the men and women who gave their all, we say thank you to both them and their loved ones this morning. What a grave, a great price they paid so that we may enjoy the freedoms that we do today. But sadly, this <clears throat> holiday seems to be losing some steam, if you ask me. And I believe one of the reasons is for that is that fewer and fewer people know anyone who gave, in order, who gave their all in order to procure or, uh, their freedom or in order to even uh, preserve it. What I mean by that is few, few can name a relative or a family member who they know personally. Not, not maybe like, I, oh, I, I read about somebody. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about literally an aunt, an uncle, a, a mother, a father, a, a brother, a sister. or very, Not that many can really name somebody that they remember now. I mean, at least over the age of 40, under the age of 40, that they know who personally died to provide and to protect the freedoms that we have. As a result of that, it seems to me that you know, we've lost kind of the, the emphasis of this weekend. Um, 
many no longer in touch, I guess, with the sacrifice and loss that freedom demands. And we think this freedom comes cheap, it seems, today. <clears throat> we've always experienced it, we've always enjoyed it, and as a result of that, we kind of just assume it'll always be there. But the freedoms that we have experienced and we have enjoyed in our nation and our country over these years, they came at a great cost and a great price. They may not have cost you personally, they may not have cost me personally, but they cost somebody. There are men and women who still, bodies lay on the battlefield somewhere, buried now at this point, lost forever in the sands or the dirt or the, the soils of another nation. Why? Because they gave their life so that we could have freedoms. The very freedoms that are being ripped out of our hands today, the freedoms that are being taken away from us as, as Americans were bought and paid for by the blood of men and women who gave their lives on foreign soils and some even on the soils of America, this nation itself. It comes at a great price. I believe that's one of the reasons why the parades are growing smaller. <clears throat> doesn't seem to be as many, and it doesn't seem like they're attended like they used to be. It doesn't seem like they're so important as they once were. That's, I think that's why patriotism is melting away to some degree. I think that's why leisure and laziness have replaced liberty itself. Why we are more comfortable, as long as we are comfortable, you can take our freedoms. It's because we don't know anyone that's paid the ultimate price in many cases. We don't understand what it really costs, what the price tag was. And I'm not saying that you don't, because maybe you do know a brother or sister that died in battle. Maybe you, if, especially if you're older, remember somebody that died in World War II or Vietnam or one of these wars, or even maybe in the Gulf War. But when we look at the numbers of people who died in the Gulf War, it was mere min minuscule numbers compared to those that died in previous battles, previous wars. We're not in touch necessarily with the cost of freedom today. And I think sometimes that hinders us and it's causing us to be more apt to give up our freedoms. But liberty and freedom comes with great sacrifice and loss. And I think this reality is best seen in the life and death of the Savior, Jesus Christ. In John chapter 8, verse 36, the Bible says, If the Son therefore shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. Christ came to this earth in order to procure and to preserve freedom on behalf of all mankind. And that freedom came with a great price. Even as those soldiers gave up their lives to procure and protect our national freedoms, Jesus gave up some things as well. In order to protect cure and to protect our spiritual freedoms, to provide us the spiritual freedoms that we now enjoy. He gave up some things. And I want to share just a couple very basic things he gave up and then talk about, well, how does that affect us or how should it affect us? What does that mean to us today or how should, it, how should we respond to that? And so let's go ahead and have a word of prayer and then we'll move along in our service. Father, we come to you, we want to thank you again for the privilege and the opportunity we have to gather here today, and the privilege that we have to gather here without fear of someone coming in and closing us down or hauling us off to prison as we've seen in the New Testament early on. Thank you, Father, that men and women were willing to sacrifice their all to provide 
and to protect the freedoms that we now enjoy. This Memorial Day weekend, be with those families who have lost someone and whose hearts are heavy and hurting. Oh God, for us who maybe did not lose someone directly, may we, Father, remember the price for freedom. Now, Father, be glorified in this service and walk these aisles and do a work in our hearts and lives. And may we never forget the price of our salvation and the price that, of, of the presence of Christ in our life. Thank you, Father, for the Lord Jesus Christ and his place in our life. We love you, we thank you. In Christ's name, amen. <clears throat> so what did Jesus give up? I mean, what did it cost for the freedoms spiritual freedoms that we enjoy today. First, he gave up heaven. Turn, if you would, to Philippians chapter 2, verse 6. Philippians chapter 2, verse 6. <clears throat> Freedom always comes at a great price. So what was the price that the Lord Jesus Christ paid? What are some of the things that he gave up in order for you and I to know that we're on our way to heaven, to know that Christ is with us always. Well, first, he gave up heaven. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 6, notice what it says. <clears throat> Who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, and became obedient unto the death, even the death of the cross, Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now notice what happened. The Lord Jesus Christ left heaven. The Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible says, literally left heaven and became Man, old man, he was Emmanuel, yes, God with us. But he understood our temptations and he understands our trials and our hurts and heartaches. Why? Because he became like you and I in that sense of being all man. He had a body, he had flesh. He had to address and deal with that flesh. With the temptations that abound and come in this life in which we live, he had to be there and he had to address it. He had to deal with it. He understands the hurt and the heartache that you and I are going through today. He left heaven. What did it cost the Lord Jesus Christ? What did it cost God to give us a home in heaven and to provide us with eternal life? It cost him heaven itself. He literally had to leave heaven, become a man, God-man. He gave up heaven. The Bible says he gave up his riches. In 2 Corinthians 8 9, turn there, would you? Please turn to 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. He gave up his riches. <clears throat> Years ago, in this particular city, the, the rubber factories were booming. Men and families from all over the country, <clears throat> especially the northeastern part of the United States, <clears throat> poured in to the city of Akron to grab a job, to take a job, and to start afresh and anew. 
And some would say, what a great sacrifice that was for them to move their entire families and come to Akron. Can I tell you, it was nothing like the sacrifice that Jesus made. They had nothing to begin with, and they were looking forward to gaining something. It's not hard to move when you believe that the grass is greener on the other side. It's not hard to leave where you're at to go here and make twice or three times or four times the money you were making in the state or city you were in. Oh yeah, you're going to have to leave family. That's not easy. But you're going to provide for your family in a way that you never dreamed possible. Jesus left everything and went to nothing in comparison. He didn't leave nothing and come to everything. He left everything and came to nothing. Look at what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. And I had a brother that graduated from college, and he ended up getting a job in North Carolina. He had to leave his family, and he went there and started to work a job. Man, he wasn't upset about that. He wasn't bumming, so to speak, other than the fact that he had to leave some family, and sometimes I think he felt he was lucky. <laughs> I'm teasing. But man, he started off making a, a, getting a, a job and, and moving up in a business, and before you know it, he's leaving North Carolina, he's going to Kansas City, uh, Missouri, and he's working a job there, and then he moves out to Dallas, Texas, and then from Dallas, Texas, he's in Florida now. He probably makes three or four or five times what I make a year. You say, what a sacrifice. You wouldn't say what a sacrifice, would you? You'd be like, lucky guy. <clears throat> Jesus didn't leave nothing and go to something. He left something and went to nothing. He did that all for you and I. That's amazing to me. Can you imagine being weighted hand and foot on by the angels in heaven? Can you imagine, uh, if you will, as, as we think about the new Jerusalem and one day there'll be streets of gold, Jesus leaves a, an environment and a perfect place to live in order to come to this sin-filled world? Jesus is treated like a million bucks, so to speak, and he gets to earth and he's treated like slime. They seek his life. They want him dead. They want nothing to do with him. They reject his word. They reject his will. They reject the work of Christ. They reject everything about him. And yet he gave it all for them. He gave it all for us. Jesus Christ, he gave up some things too. He gave up heaven. He gave up his riches. But notice this finally. He gave up his life. Turn to John chapter 10 verse 17. There's nothing we do that doesn't come with some sacrifice, no doubt about that. Every, every uh, choice has consequences, we understand this. But to think of what Jesus Christ gave up for you and I. Look, at he gave up his life. John chapter 10, verse 17. Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life, that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. 
I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. He says, listen, nobody, nobody, nobody took my life. I laid it down. See, that's the real difference here. Nobody took his life. He gave it completely. He sacrificed it. He knew what was ahead. He willingly gave his life. I'm going to be honest with you, if I, as a soldier, I, I know what it is to believe I'm headed into battle. I've never been in war. I didn't have to go to an actual war. Nobody ever shot at me other than on the range and people, bullets flying over your head for practice, you know. You learn to stay low, too. But you also know those bullets are well above you. But boy, I tell you what, I can't imagine being in war. But I'm going to tell you this much. I don't believe there was one young man or ever one young lady that went to war that said, I hope I die in battle. I'm going to die in battle. I'm just going to give my life to give it. I'm going to go there and I'm just going to die. Here, shoot me now. Boom. But Jesus willingly laid down his life. He willingly laid it down. I'm not saying that they didn't go willing to die. I'm saying that they did not want to die, nor would they have chosen to die. Jesus Christ literally died and knew it was coming, and he still came. He wanted wanted to die. He willingly laid down his life. Nobody took it from him. He gave it of his own choice, his own free will. And if I had a choice on the battlefield, whether to live or die, I'd say I'm living. But Jesus said, I'm dying. He gave up his life. So what moved him to leave heaven? What moved him to give up his riches and to lay down his life? What moved him to do those things? Turn to 1 John chapter 3, would you please? 1 John chapter 3. This one isn't big John, this is little John. 1 John chapter 3 verse 16. Some, when I say Little John, most of you go back to a show years ago, don't you? Big Chuck and Houlihan turned into Big Chuck and Little John. Man, I was bumming when that happened. I liked Houlihan. But Little John was pretty good, too. He, he, he held his own. Did a good job. But this Little John, he really tears it up. Watch what he says here. It's actually the same John. But anyway... <clears throat> Look what he says here in 1 John 3, 16. Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Notice, hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us. What moved him to leave heaven, to give up his riches, to lay down his life? It was the love he had for you and I. It's that love. It was great love for you and I that moved him. What motivated him? What moved him? His love for you. His love for me. His love for every human being ever created. It's funny about the Lord. He doesn't doesn't pick or choose who he loves. He loves all of us. He loves even the worst of us. 
I'm not saying that he tolerates it or allows it to go on and will continue through eternity to do so. No, he has to punish sin, but he loves the sinner, every single one. And those that you may say, I don't love, Jesus says, I do. And I love him so much that I would have died just for him. I'd have died just for her. And you know, that great love, that's the same reason we're to sacrifice our lives on behalf, on his behalf and on the behalf of others. His love. Turn, if you would, to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. A real simple thought, but something that I think is important for us to understand today. Notice what it says in 2 Corinthians 5.14. The Apostle Paul is writing now to the church at Corinth, and he makes a statement, and it's a very powerful statement. <clears throat> 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14 and 15. For the love of Christ constraineth us, the Apostle Paul says, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead, and that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Why, why, why should I live for him? Why should I live for others? Why should I give my all? You say, because of great love. Well, that's true, but not my love for them, but because of his love for me. Notice what compelled and constrained the apostle. Right off the bat, for the love of Christ constraineth us. It wasn't the apostle Paul's love that caused him to go through perils in the sea and perils in the, the, every, everywhere. You, re, you know the verses. It wasn't that. That's not what caused him to willingly sacrifice his comforts and his pleasures and to give up his own life to live for the Lord Jesus Christ completely. It wasn't his love for you or the people around him or for anyone else. It was Christ's love for him. That's what moved him and that's what motivated the Apostle Paul. Turn to 1 Timothy chapter 1, please. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. <clears throat> for the love of Christ constraineth us. If one died for all, then we're all dead. And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves. Because he died for all. We don't live to ourselves anymore, he's saying. But unto him which died for us. Who rose again. That's who we live for. We live for Christ because of the love Christ has for us. It's his love in dying for us, being buried and rising again. We look at that example of love and, and, and experience that love. And we say, my, I'm going to live for him. I'm going to live for others. 1 Timothy 1, 12. Paul's now speaking to Timothy, his protege in the faith, his son in the faith, the Bible calls him. It's likely that the Apostle Paul had a part in the salvation of Timothy, if not literally leading him to Christ. And he says, And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who hath enabled me, for that he counted me faithful, Paul speaking now, the Apostle Paul under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. 
He said, before I came to Christ, before I put my faith in Jesus, I'm going to tell you what, I was the worst of sinners. I was a mess. But he has since counted me worthy, putting me in the ministry even. Well, what are you talking about, Paul? Verse 14, and the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. How be it for this cause I obtain mercy that in me first Jesus Christ might shew forth all longsuffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. Do you realize he says what's going on here? I am chief of sinners. I was so wicked and sinful. I have nothing to offer the Lord. I had nothing to give back to God. I have nothing. And yet he, in his great mercy and his grace, washed me and cleansed me and made me whole. And then he counted me worthy to be put into the ministry. And today I stand before you preaching and proclaiming the word of God because of the grace and the mercy that he's extended to me. And he did all of that so that you know That he can do it in your life too. It's his great love. The psalmist expressed the same view basically. This same humble attitude. Over in Psalm 8.4 he says, What is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visitest him? In Psalm 144 verse 3 he says, Lord, What is man that thou takest knowledge of him, or the son of man that thou makest account of him? What is there about any human being that would cause you to even spend one fleeting moment considering us? There's no redeeming quality in us. We are sinners through and through. And yet you are mindful of us. Oh God, you are mindful of us. You can almost hear the humble spirit of the psalmist crying out in gratitude to the Lord. We see Job himself expressing the same sentiment in Job 7.17. What is man that thou shouldest magnify him and that thou shouldest set thine heart upon him? What's man? What is there about me that you would spend one fleeting moment considering me. I am nothing. I'm nobody. This is the spirit and attitude that we see here in the psalmist and in the man by the name of Job and in the apostle Paul. All because of the sacrifice of the Savior. Because of the price that he paid on Calvary, the fact that he willingly laid down his life, he who was perfect bore in his own body the sin of the world. The Bible says that the father turned his back on the Lord. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why would he do that for us? He didn't have to, but he did. Because of his great love for you and I. And that same love 
is the love that we then in turn serve him with and serve others with. You say, I just don't love people the way I should. Well, then quit trying to love them in yourself. Love him with his love. It's his love that matters. It's not yours. See, it's not a matter of you not loving someone else enough. It's that you don't have enough love for him. And you're not experiencing his love in your life enough. Because if you will experience his love and you appreciate it the way God intended, then that's the same love that you can then extend to others. You are motivated by his love toward you. You say, well, I don't know. I'm just not that motivated. It's because you don't understand how much he loved you then. We try to make it all complicated, don't we? Well, I can't love him. I mean, look at how he looks and how he acts and... He's a mess, and if he was more like me, I could maybe love him, but I can't love him, and I can't love her. Why not? He loved you. God loved me. What is man that thou art mindful of him? See, God doesn't expect you to love with your love. He expects you to love because of his love. It's the love of Christ that constraineth us. That's what moves me to do what I do for him. That's what moves me to do what I do for you. That's what moves me to do what I do for others. It's his love for me, not my love for you. And that love that he shows me becomes a love in my heart too then, right? And then it's easy to love because his love is overflowing in our lives. And then it's easy to extend love because, boy, it's so real in our own hearts and lives. So what now? What now? Turn, if you would, to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, please. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. This freedom that we have in Christ come at a great price. He left heaven. There's no doubt about that. He gave up his riches and he laid down his life all because of his great love for you and I. And because of that great love that he extended to us, it should move us and motivate us like it did the apostle and like it did the psalmist and like it did the uh, Job of old. It should move us. So what now? 1 Corinthians six nineteen. He says, what? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. A transaction took place the day that you invited Christ into your life. He purchased you. He purchased you the way you were, as is, a mess. He purchased me the way I am, as is, a mess. But he says, it's all mine, And that's why I came, so I could purchase you, so I could buy you back out of sin and from Satan, and I could create in you a new man. And you could become a light in a dark world. He says, therefore glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's now. See, what I have here today is not mine. Your body and your spirit. See, he is the owner. He purchased it. You say, well, I'm going to do what I want to do. Uh Uh-uh, wrong idea. Bad idea. Because it's not yours to do with as you please. It's not mine to do with as I please. I've been bought with a price. In 1 Corinthians 7, 23, he says, you are bought with a price. 
Be not ye the servants of men, brethren. Let every man wherein he is called therein abide with God. You've been bought with a price. We go around serving man. We go around serving the system that we live in all the time. We give our best hours and our best days and our best time to the world, to the devil and to the things of this world. And God say, no, you've been purchased, you've been bought. Sure, you need to go to work, and sure, you need to take care of house and home, and sure, you have responsibilities to deal with in this life. I understand, but give me your best, because I purchased you. I purchased you out of the hand of Satan and out of the consequences of sin. I literally reached down into hell and ripped you and pulled you out. All because I love you. That's why I left heaven. That's why I gave up my riches. That's why I laid down my life. Not so that you can choose to live as you choose and to do as you please. I did it because I wanted to call out a people that would ultimately glorify my name and that I ultimately can point to in eternity and say, Look at my grace. The Bible teaches us that one day in eternity, people will look at the church, this called out assembly, as well as every other called out assembly, and then one day we'll all be called New Jerusalem. And they'll look and they'll say, Wow, wow, do you know what they were? Notice, were. What they are is a direct result of God's grace. Oh, how gracious, how merciful is our God. That's what they will say for eternity. Not, oh boy, you are such a good Christian. No, they'll say he is such a great God. David Livingston was a Scottish missionary. And he was also an explorer. He spent 33 years in the heart of Africa. He walked across the continent, they say. He literally ministered to thousands and thousands. He endured so much suffering as he labored to spread the gospel. And he ultimately opened up a continent to missionaries there. This godly missionary made these remarks. He said, people talk of the sacrifice I have made in spending so much of my life in Africa. Can that be called a sacrifice which is simply paid back as a small part of a great debt owing to our God, which we can never repay? It is emphatically no sacrifice. Say rather, it is a privilege. Anxiety, sickness, suffering, or danger now and then with the foregoing of the common conveniences and charities of this life may make us pause and cause the spirit to waver and the soul to sink, but let this only be for a moment. All these are nothing when compared with the glory which shall hereafter be revealed in, in, in and for us. I never made a sacrifice. Of this we ought not to talk when we remember the great sacrifice which he made who left his father's throne on high to give himself for us. Wow. True words have never been spoken. I'm, I wonder, are you truly aware of the sacrifice that the Lord Jesus Christ made 
in order for you to enjoy the freedom that everlasting life provides you. During World War II, a young soldier named David Webster, he was with the 101st Airborne, he wrote his mom and he said this, he said, stop worrying about me. I joined the parachutists to fight. I intend to fight. If necessary, I shall die fighting. But don't worry about this because no war can be won without young men dying. Those things which are precious are saved only by sacrifice. You know, Scripture often refers to the Christian life as a war, a spiritual battle. The reality is that there is no victory apart from sacrifice. It always costs something to win the battle. And just as our salvation was purchased at a great cost, overcoming the enemy and walking in the Spirit is going to require that we're willing to give up some things in order to triumph as well. You know what we need today in America? We need some young men who understand the need to sacrifice their all on behalf of Christ. We need some young ladies who understand the need to sacrifice their all on behalf of Christ. It seems to me today that it's become so so normal for even believers to buy into the world and to live a life that is simply convenient. But that's not what's going to make a difference in eternity. That's not what's going to win the battle and ultimately the war. There's going to have to be some sacrifice. And young men and young ladies today, I'm imploring you, I'm begging you to give your all to Christ, not just a little bit, but all of it. This idea that, well, I gave him my few hours a week for church. I gave a few hours to serve God. I, I did. That's not going to get it done. All to Christ. A pastor stood at the Vietnam Veterans Memorial and he was watching a man in tears lay a wreath at the base of the memorial. He sat there just watching. Finally, the pastor got up and he went over and he put his hand on the man's shoulder. And the man said, 25 years ago, he stepped into the line of fire for me. The least I can do is say, thanks. Can I say 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ stood in the line of fire for you. He took your place and he paid your penalty for sin. And the least that we can do this morning is say thanks. Do you understand and comprehend what took place on the cross in order for you to take your place in heaven with him? What a sacrifice. Jesus gave up heaven. Jesus gave up great riches. Jesus gave up his own life. I wonder if you're lost and in sin today, if you've never invited Christ into your life, you've never trusted him as your savior, you never looked to the cross and said that Jesus is perfect that's dying there and he's dying for me, a sinner. And I don't deserve it. I'm so unworthy of what he did on that cross 2,000 years ago, but I implore and I beg his mercy. I beg him to forgive me. I beg him to wash me clean. If you've never trusted Christ today, that's exactly what you need to do. You need to come to him today without reservation. 
You need to just say, I'm that sinner he died for, and I need him to be my Savior. Will you let Christ save you today? Will you let Christ change your life? And if you know Christ as your Savior, will you be moved to sacrifice all for him? Sacrificing all may not mean quitting your job and moving your family to the foreign mission field. That may not be what we're talking about. It could be, but it's probably not going to be that way. He would have to tell me that pretty plainly. But will you give your all, though, right where you're at? This morning, we need to say thank you to those fallen heroes on the battlefield. Oh, boy, they... We need to say thank you for the freedoms that they procured and the freedoms that they protected. But even more, we must say thank you to the fallen Savior who gave us all for us and rose again the third day. His love for us moved him to come. His love for us moves us to go. Will you go on his behalf? Will you represent the Lord Jesus Christ as a believer every day of your life in gratitude and thanks for what he did for you, for standing in the line of fire and taking your place? And this morning, if you don't know Christ, I pray that you make your way right to the front, a beeline. As soon as that music starts to play, you get up front and let someone take this precious book, the Word of God, and show you just the basic precious promises of the Word of God. Not what a church believes, not what a pastor says, not what a worker opens up and says this is what it should be. No, what the Word of God itself says. And let those promises penetrate your heart and let Jesus Christ change your life today. Father, we come to you. We come to you asking you to speak to our hearts and work in our lives. And Lord, I trust you already are doing that. But Lord, I pray now that it would all culminate that, Father, the, the sinner that is without Jesus Christ would make a beeline to the front and allow the Holy Spirit to change, bring regeneration and change to their life. That they would see a need to confess their sin before Jesus, the perfect Savior, and invite him into their life and allow him to be their Lord. For the believer, I pray, dear God, that you'd help us. Oh, yes, still dealing and fighting with sin in our lives. But help us, Father, just to allow the love of Christ to move us to go on your behalf. To in gratitude say thank you and to express that through our actions and our life and our attitude. Be glorified now in this time of invitation. We'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Let's all stand.